Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kate. What do you got to drink today? You know, nothing too exciting. Just a healthy glass of water. <laughs> Just oh. staying hydrated in this summer heat. Um, feeling good. But yeah, what about you? What do you have to drink? I have a cherry limeade poppy. Whoa, mixing it up. Yeah. New so, drink for Kate. <laughs> yeah, well, they were at Costco, and mm. so I was like, whole box for half the price of what they are at the grocery store Mm -hmm. sure i will give it a try and i will say it's good Mm -hmm. but it's no olipop it's no olipop yeah so even though they were half the price i don't know that i'll get them again well you know maybe maybe we'll just have to do a taste test at some point oh (laughs) is that a little foreshadowing maybe maybe a little (laughs) teaser just dropped in there stay tuned stay tuned (laughs) all right ready to get into it yeah let's get into it howdy Howdy from from Houston. houston i'm kate and i'm hannah today we are doing an article review um it's about ai and medical education So, the focus of this article review was discussing the ways that AI might influence, quote, thought structures and practice patterns, unquote, of medical trainees and physicians. Mm. One of the first things that I thought of as I was reading this article, and it kind of mentions this too about in the article about early on in the medical education. First step in becoming a doctor is applying to med school. So how is AI, things like ChatGPT, going to affect that process? Um, The article mentions, will personal statements cease to exist? You know, just like when you're applying to college, will those statements and essays no longer be a part of the application? I don't know. Um, I can totally see how the existence of something like ChatGPT can make it really difficult to discern if something that is submitted is somebody's own work or if it was produced by something like ChatGPT, which has such a human-like tone and voice. Right, well, and especially when, if you type something into ChatGPT, it won't produce the exact same answer twice. So it's not like a teacher or an admissions officer could put the essay in ChatGPT and say, did you write this? Because like, or, or type in the prompt and ask it for the essay because it will likely not be the exact same as whatever the student might have submitted. Right. And recognizing that ChatGPT is still relatively new and still evolving, so who's to say how much better ChatGPT or AI tools get in just five years? You know, how, how much better and different and more human-like and diverse will those responses be in just five years from now? Right. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how med schools are going to adjust to essays as being a part of the application. Uh, my first thought was what about making it very difficult to cheat? So using something like a recorded video or a record, recorded voice prompt, something like that. But then that brings in a whole nother concern of bias. You know, I mean, it's hard to deny when you look at somebody you make some on-the-spot judgments about them whether you like to admit that or not that's just how it is that's why you get dressed up and you look nice for an interview so that your first impression is that you look professional so if you're doing a video recorded response to an essay prompt 
or I should say a, a video recorded prompt, maybe it will be difficult for um, people on the side of evaluating those essays to dismiss that bias of looking at what you're wearing, what your skin color is, you know, how old do you look, anything really, you know, do you look put together? All the little things that can add up that you probably wouldn't have to consider until you even get to the interview stage, and now you're having to consider it in the very first stage. Right, yeah, which when you consider in the interview stage, it's a little better because they've already seen your essays, they're Mm -hmm. already interested in you, and you've made it past a few roadblocks there, but the first impression is it's a little different yeah so yeah we'll be interested to see how see how that changes right yeah so the article goes on to say that ai is already more and more becoming integrated in the healthcare system which is largely a really good thing they're doing it very carefully we have heard of a lot of technology people and companies incorporating ai so far from my perspective it seems really good for example reducing provider burden so the workload for physicians nurses pas nurse practitioners everyone who works with patients it increases efficiency and benefits for all of us it can oftentimes lower the out-of-pocket costs for patients So usually right now, AI seems like it could be a really good thing. Right. How it's at least being applied right now, which Mm. um, I can totally see it being useful for something um, when it comes to decision making as a physician, Um, not letting AI make the decision for you, but using it as a decision making tool. So for example, plugging in the numbers and letting it spit out a statistical outcome, it might give you a perspective on real statistics that maybe you as a physician didn't know and might help you make a safer decision for your patient because of newer data that is different from what you learned when you were in medical school. You know, if you're 10 years into practicing and this one little piece of data you didn't keep up with, you know, something like that where it's hard as just a human to really have a 100% grasp on all the new evolving evolving science of medicine and all the new techniques and the new surgeries and the new success with this type of operation and just really staying on top of all of it um, can be can be very difficult you know and that, I mean that is part of the responsibility as as a physician but if we can integrate a tool that can make us better at doing that it's something to consider right it Ultimately, it just helps the patient in the end. That's what this whole goal is, I would say. Right. So the article says medical leaders and educators must now account for AI. Like I said, it's already becoming integrated in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And side note, our school is accounting for AI. It was really cool. Back in the spring semester, we had a professor structure one of our engineering classes around using chat GPT, which I thought was really cool that he was like, yes, we as faculty mm-hmm. know that you are all using chat GPT. So <laughs> yeah. we are going to have a class that is focused on using it and how we can use it well and maybe some of the drawbacks of it. So that I thought that was really cool how 
from our perspective anyway, it seems like the faculty generally function as a unit. And so if this one professor is very supportive of it, then I would assume most of the others are as well. Right. And I think that's a part of the whole approach of should we look at it as something to be feared or something to embrace, you know, and if, and if we're looking at it as something that can be a tool to be helpful, I think we'll be able to navigate it in a healthier way and apply it where we should apply it and be more cautious in not applying it in things like a cheating type scenario. Um, And we can be more aware of the dangerous aspects of it if we're like willing to take a look at it and take a dive into what what is AI? What is a way to apply ChatGPT to med school education and not just try and find ways to block students from using it? Because if it's a tool and and if it's helpful, students are going to want to use it and they're going to try and figure out a way to use it even if you put the boundaries up. Right. They're going to use it anyway. And if we embrace it, then we just figure out all the pros and cons sooner rather than if you push it off and you say, I don't know if this is something I want to do and you reject it, then you don't figure that out until later, much later when maybe you could have integrated things earlier, figured it out earlier and helped a lot more people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've definitely been able to see it firsthand be both very useful and also not very useful. (laughs) Um, So I remember using it when we were studying for our cardiovascular block. Um, There was a topic that I had kind of a difficult time grasping. And so I just went to ChatGPT and I said, can you please explain this to me? Which I, (laughs) side note, it's maybe a little conspiracy theorist, but I always try to be nice to AI. AI. Try to say please and thank you. (laughs) Practice my manners. Um, you never know how it's going to go down the line. So better, better safe than sorry. That is true. You never know. Um, so I always ask ChatGPT, please, can you explain to me this specific topic as if I were 10 years old or in a really simple way or give me the top three things I need to know about XYZ. And ChatGPT will spit out a response that is really easy to understand, really simple. It breaks it down. And you can ask a lot of follow-up questions as if you're, you know, having a conversation. That's what it's designed for. It's designed to have those human-like interactions. And so you can talk to it in a way that you would talk to a tutor. Um, now, on the downside of that, I have had instances of using ChatGPT for that same scenario, and the answers it gives are incorrect. It gives you false information. Um, and usually it's just, like, a little bit wrong. It's not usually, like, completely off base. Uh but it would be enough to mislead you on the direction that you're trying to go and really trying to understand a concept entirely. So definitely something to be wary of and double check everything and, you know, go in and verify with professors and whatnot. Um, but to just get like a basic understanding, if you're really struggling with something, I found it to be really helpful. Um, but I think that introduces the question of what is What is the boundary? You know, we talked about like using it for essays and things like that, where it's definitely a line of cheating versus using it for something helpful and helping you learn. So what is that boundary between cheating and working smarter, but not harder? Yeah, that's definitely something we're going to have to navigate in the Mm -hmm. coming years. But I do think that, and the article says this, that all trainees must be prepared to use AI as a core component of their practice eventually so not just students but Mm -hmm. also residents and fellows because it's there so it's going to be used by people some people at least and so you might as well hop on that train 
rather than falling behind because there's been a few instances in the past with, I know EMR specifically, you worked with a company that worked with a lot of EMR, which stands for Electronic Medical Records, where a lot of hospitals didn't adopt the electronic version of a medical record. And so with this electronic medical record, real quick, is just documenting all of your information as a patient so that the doctor can keep track of it. They can easily see the last time you saw them. They can see sometimes when you saw other doctors, depends on if that other doctor uses the same system. So if everyone used the same system, then all the doctors could see you seeing your other doctor and you seeing maybe a nurse practitioner somewhere or a PA and that way the doctor you're seeing today will have a complete picture of what your health has looked like recently or maybe 10 years ago when you had a surgery or something like that and they can do a lot better job at coming up with a treatment plan specifically for you and not just oh the general treatment plan is this they might see oh you had this illness 10 years ago and even though you're in remission I just want to be careful so I'm not going to give you the general treatment plan I'm going to give you something a little bit different so things like that is the reason why it's one reason anyway why it's good to have electronic medical records EMR and um yeah I know you Hannah used to work with Epic, right? Mm-hmm. I'll let you talk a little bit about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> well, before, you know, the rise of ChatGPT, you know, things like Epic or Allscripts or all the other electronic medical record companies out there are already integrating AI into the software. So as an example, um, if you, as a patient, have an allergy to penicillin, that's documented on your chart and you're at the doctor and they're trying to administer penicillin and they they don't see it on your chart because we're human and we make mistakes and you know they try to electronically order penicillin and the ai that's integrated into the software will pop up with a warning are you sure you want to order this medication it's listed that the patient is allergic you know so ai has already been a part of the medical world through softwares like electronic medical records you know so this isn't a totally new thing um i think it's just started to rise more in popularity in all fields and so it started to be this kind of alarm raising concerns a little bit more severely than before um but a note to the parallel of the field of medicine adopting electronic components way later than so many other industries I think could be a really good lesson to look at when it comes to embracing things like AI moving forward Um, so the entire world you know when the internet became a thing (laughs) and computers became a thing pretty much every industry in order to survive needed to evolve and needed to move along with technology but because healthcare is always going to be mandatory there was this sick luxury that medicine was able to take to not embrace the times of changing technology and be slow to move their feet, shuffle their feet to adopt it. And so you see hospitals, you see two, you can see two very distinct paths of hospitals and organizations that were ready to embrace that change and took on the challenges early on, 
even though it was difficult and had to make a lot of changes, made a lot of people uncomfortable. People have to do things differently. Things might not be very smooth at the beginning, but they were willing to take it on and they were able to identify things that worked, things that didn't work early on as they're you know laying the foundation versus hospitals and organizations that tried to delay it as long as possible, thinking that they could continue having a paper record for every patient for the rest of time. And that's just not the case. You know, we are in a technolo- technology world where you have to have an electronic version of everything. I mean, I know like if I don't have a PDF saved of it, like I'm going to lose it. If I don't have the, like, I'm going to lose the paper document. I need it <laughs> on a drive. Right. Yeah. And I don't think I've written an essay since like on elementary paper. school. On paper, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Since elementary school, I don't think. And even then, like, it was kind of a mix. Sometimes I would write, I would write, like, if I had to write, like, a one-page, like, paragraph, I would maybe write it on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But then anything else, anything longer, anything a page or longer usually would also be on the computer. Right. So to not adopt something like that really would put hospitals way behind, especially when you're dragging your feet, dragging your feet, and then you have all these other hospitals super excited to embrace change, super excited to improve their standard of patient care, really, at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. Right. And then you have such big gaps in care between hospitals. And then you have, so you have some hospitals that are leading in medicine and really stand out because they've made the lives of their doctors a little bit easier so that they don't have as much paperwork to do, literally. Mm -hmm. And other doctors are sitting there handwriting out everything and filing things away looking for things in files mm-hmm. and that takes up a lot more time when they could be seeing more patients or doing research or just taking care of themselves so that they feel better to see more patients the next day type yeah. of thing so ultimately making the environment better for everybody patients doctors nurses techs everyone involved right exactly and doctors also talk about kind of like you have to move on with the times or you quote unquote die Mm -hmm. is what they say because when we were shadowing in the hospital over the summer I was asking one of the doctors why she was learning how to use the robot when she didn't actually need to use it for that many surgeries Mm -hmm. but she was telling me if I don't use this I'm gonna fall super far behind and I might not catch back up so it just goes to show kind of hopefully this is a new mentality. We are definitely at a hospital that is excited about change and innovation and in a specifically in a medical school program that's very excited about change and innovation, which I love. Me too. Yeah, so it's really cool to see and hopefully this mentality is being more and more adopted by those who are a little bit slower to change. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, and I think... I think we just have to be hopeful that this is part of the mindset and culture of the rising generations, not just the medical field, because we want to make sure that anyone who's coming into the field of medicine in the next 20, 30, 40 years has this mindset of, I want to see things get better. I want to see things change for the better. And when there's something new, it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be bad. Um, That doesn't mean you're not cautious. You know, you want to make sure you're not just applying AI willy-nilly to everything, you know? Right. So, I, I mean, I really think the best approach is we need to be ready as 
medical professionals down the line and students now to embrace the change, but to do so with caution. I agree. And a note to your point about things are always changing. Something the article briefly mentioned and something I was thinking about is what if we taught trainees, students, residents, fellows, what if we taught everyone how to evolve and how to accept change? Because I think right now in the medical world, you obviously have to know like a bajillion things (laughs) for each big standardized test, which are in relatively short which happen in relatively short amounts of time so we have under 18 months to study for our first big standardized test with breaks in between and you're not (laughs) yeah you're not studying the whole time so we have to learn all the stuff for the test there's not much time outside to fit into the curriculum okay you're now going to have a class on what to do when new technology comes in so it could be difficult to incorporate that and i think if you're in an institution like we are fortunately in an institution that embraces change you kind of just learn it by being in that environment which is good but i think also it could be beneficial to have some dedicated time even like one lecture in a semester or something saying like okay so here's what happens with change and like how does it make you feel because i know sometimes when i think about change in certain aspects it makes me feel really closed off and not open and excited it's like oh i really like the way things are now and i don't know how i feel about this new thing because what if it doesn't work what if someone gets hurt all this kind of stuff so it would be i think it would be interesting to have some dedicated time to learn about how to deal with that when it comes up. Right. I think if something is worth learning about, you know, if it it seems like it could be a valuable class, we should embrace incorporating it into our curriculum. A similar comparison could be, I don't know how many classes or lectures or things like that that they had on mental health. 15 years ago right in the medical field and now we we just had a lecture today on it I mean granted today was orientation but <laughs> but it, it is something that we talk about much more frequently um, than maybe they did before so the, the curriculum has shown in the past that it can evolve with the things that need to be focused on or need to be taught outside of just the biochemistry and the sciences and everything that you learn on that side of medical school that's true that's true there's hope (laughs) overall though i thought it was a really great article nice and short and sweet to the point just kind of get your gears turning you know start thinking about it uh how do we see ai right now what do we predict it to be like in the future and just be aware because that's i think one of the biggest things in preparing for change is just don't ignore it you know, right. just be aware of it now and start looking into it. Start trying to learn about it. Just because you don't know much about it doesn't mean it has to be scary. So learn about it. Educate yourself. Go pull up ChatGPT. Create an account. Test it out. Have some fun with it. Yeah, it is really fun. I actually have gotten quite a few recipes off of ChatGPT. <laughs> I got some travel recommendations from ChatGPT. Um, it's definitely very useful. Yeah, and there are all sorts of other AI tools out there that I haven't even begun to explore that I'm sure could be useful in tons of other ways in the medical field that we haven't even really started looking at as students. Yeah, exactly. 
Last thing I wanted to mention, some concerns that the article mentioned were the ethics of Mm. a chatbot making decisions about patients. And it kind of posed the questions, will trainees develop their knowledge and skills to the same extent with the ability to use AI now from day one of their training if you're starting your medical training now? My personal thoughts on this are almost every single doctor wants the best for their patients. And we are definitely not at a point where a doctor would let a chatbot make these like kinds of big decisions for patients, which could potentially harm the patient. So I don't really think that's an issue. And then to the second point, developing knowledge and skills, I still have to study a lot for everything. And I know I have so many more resources than trainees did 10 years ago. Right. Just 10 years ago when the internet was still a thing. I have a lot more third-party resources. I have a lot more study tools. I have my iPad, which make helps me, you know, take notes super easily, take notes on PowerPoints. Maybe they did have iPads 10 years ago. But I don't know how commonly they were used. And yeah, I think everybody has an iPad in our class. <laughs> yeah, almost everyone. Yeah, that's Wait, I think everyone does. <laughs> yeah. Some sort of tablet, at least. Yeah, there was there was a bit of a movement. There, yeah. Last year, where like everybody was getting iPads. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I was a part of that. Yeah, I well, I got one before classes started. So yeah, you influenced me, is what I mean. Like I, I was not a part of the the wave of change. I was a follower <laughs> and got an iPad. Yeah, so I guess I am spearheading change already. There you go. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, well, I, I really think it just comes down to the question of is is this going to be a tool or is it going to be a hindrance? Right. You know, and how do you want to use it? Because every piece of technology of all history can be used for good or can be used for bad. Right. So it's better to know how it can be used for both than to be ignorant and not know anything at all. Yeah, and it's a choice. Do you want to use it for good? Then use it for good. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We really enjoyed reading this article and preparing these notes. We found it super interesting to learn about and talk about and share our thoughts. So on that note, if you have any thoughts, intelligent thoughts, unintelligent thoughts, questions, random thoughts about life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at howdyfromhoustonpodcast at gmail.com. The email will be in the show notes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll see you on the next one. See ya.